This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Eco Online, a leading provider of innovative cloud-based health and safety and sustainability software solutions, engaging users to help create a safer planet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you for joining us today. Now, technology continues to play a bigger and bigger role in our lives, and occupational safety and health is, of course, no exception. And joining me today to share his insights on that subject is Tyler Davey. Tyler is North American CEO, formerly for Alchemist, which has recently been announced, is now part of Eco Online. Tyler, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Scott, and uh, hello, everyone tuning in. My name, obviously, is Tyler. Uh, I'm CEO of Eco Online in North America. Uh, I am really excited to get started with the podcast, so I'd love to hear your questions, Scott, and just dive right into it. All right, uh, excited. Let's let's dive in now. As I mentioned, you know, technology, you know, continues to play a, a bigger and bigger role, including occupational safety and health. I'm curious, you know, what are some trends with technology you're seeing in the industry, particularly high risk companies into the new year? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think I think there's a number of things that we're seeing kind of emerging. I think one of the one of the big trends that we keep hearing about is around learning, uh, more specifically in field learning being able to give field-based workers the ability to learn on the fly something uh, that they need to understand, uh, whether that's you know taking it beyond toolbox talks into how to actually disassemble or, or service equipment or do something specific that they may not have done before. I think the other thing we're hearing a ton about is around integrations and consolidation of technology streams, whether it be just for health and safety and then something for quality and then something for ESG and then something for chemicals. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of that start to tie together and stitch together. And that really starts to tie into a lot around both the ESG reporting requirements of being able to get everything out there around what you're consuming, as well as being able to do data-driven decisions. So we're seeing a, a ton around there, um, which leads us into the big one that I think everyone keeps hearing about, which is AI and ML. Uh, and so, you know, AI and ML is such a, a nice buzz where you can say, oh, AI and ML, and, and people get excited. And, and then they go, well, what do you actually mean? I think taking that kind of one step further, I mean, Predictive analytics is something that we've been talking about quite a lot now and seeing that kind of come to fruition and be able to show people what the propensity is for their safety score against like competitors or against like people in the industry in different scenarios and different environments so they really know where they have to hone in. Uh, we're seeing a lot around like virtual assistants, right? So help me do this thing. Uh, and that goes beyond just virtual assistants, like the way uh, some people would think of virtual assistants, you know, book a meeting for me or something like that, but actual virtual assistants, like I need to order a part and I'm sitting here on the field right now and calling up a virtual assistant through like a, a simple voice command and being able to have that part ordered, approved, and then shipped in real time. And then VR, virtual reality for risk management. That's something else that we're starting to hear about, um, which I think is, is really interesting uh, area of focus where they're able to set up um, almost like a, a, a video camera if you can imagine it, or webcam, be able to take a snapshot of what they're about to do and then have the camera identify immediately or the application identify immediately all the hazards that are in front and center so that the worker right there knows exactly what they need to worry about. And I think the last one, which is a really interesting one, it's all around worker mental health. Uh, and we often don't think about that as kind of an innovation or something that would be technology driven, but being able to, you know, take the take technology from where it is and be able to put in the hands of workers everywhere advanced mental health uh, training, support, and mechanisms 
to help with workers that are just frankly having a tough time, right? And so those are kind of the areas that, you know, I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm watching right now. An element with any anything like this is, of course, the the financial investment. And you know, looking at, at the current uh, looking at the current economy, do you feel like that would have uh, an impact on businesses and, and their decision to go digital or invest in these kind of solutions? Yeah, I think um, I think that's probably on everyone's mind. Uh, there's there's no uh, shortage of, of I guess you could call it bad news. Uh, in the market, but then you also see a lot of good news about the robust job uh, reports that we're hearing both out of the U.S. and in and in Canada and in other areas where it's constant month over month job growth. So it's kind of conflicting messages, I feel. So I think um, I think what uh, what we experienced last year, uh, specifically in Q2, was a everyone stopped for a second until we can see what's going on, and then that kind of that, that sort of took itself out of the equation in Q3 and and really came back uh, roaring in Q4 for for I think most companies. I think going into Q1, there's a little bit of caution in the air. Safety software does tend to get viewed as optional uh, at the C-suite level, which is disappointing, right? It shouldn't be optional. It should be mandatory uh, across the board. And, and you know, certain geographies, especially out in Europe and, and in the UK, they kind of make the reporting requirements so mandatory that safety software becomes really, really important for every customer out there. But when we look in the North American market, it's not quite as, as robust in terms of the requirements. Uh, I can't envision a world where safety software doesn't help workers get home safely at night. Uh, and I think if we're prioritizing uh, keeping workers going home at night, recession or no recession, depending on who you speak to at any one given point and financial constraints, you can't do it effectively with an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Docs. They're great tools, but they're just not going to help a company become safer. And so I think that when we go into 2023, I think there might be some wait and see games being played. But at the end of the day, worker safety will become paramount and we'll see continued robust adoption of safety software across everyone to help drive towards zero. Uh, staying on on that topic, and uh, you know, being you know, being resilient in you know situations and uh, markets like this, yeah, how are you know those in safety software preparing to be more resilient, you know, into twenty twenty three and beyond? Uh, I think data is the name of the game. Uh, I think those companies and those uh, uh, safety directors or safety managers or just health and safety professionals that are in the field doing the hard yards to make sure people go home, uh, data is going to be paramount. Um, and so when you think of a world where you may not have as much resources at your fingertips or hiring decisions may get delayed, you are going to need all of the data in a format where you can really truly identify where you're problem areas are in your business and where you need to focus your energies because you can't be everywhere at once, right? So if you had a blueprint where you're going to have two or three uh, health and safety professionals to make sure your work was going well, or you had a blueprint, a hiring blueprint where you'd have, you know, five or six people there and you are one person right now, you may not get those hires right away. You know, your, your CEO, your CFO may be saying, you know what, we'll just wait and see what happens with the economy before we overhire and have a problem on our hands. The only way to do your job effectively is with robust data. And the, the way you get that robust data is being able to pull it all into a safety system and be able to report on it and see your, your near misses, be able to see how you're performing uh, across sites by individual workers, find out where you need to do more training, more deep dives, where you need to actually be on site so you can prioritize your time because there's only so much time you have available. So I think that, you know, that being able to have that data at your fingertips will probably help immensely with everyone out there that's trying to manage safety to ensure that 
they don't get in a situation where they feel overwhelmed and they just can't do enough. And that'll help with the resiliency there. Absolutely. Uh, you you talked about predictive analytics earlier. That's I'm I'm really really interested in. When you you look at the the future of predictive analytics, you know wh- what do you see, and you know, how would you suggest a leader invest in a tool to provide this to their team, and how would that make a difference for ROI? Yeah, a uh, great question. I think predictive analytics will be so informative for a organization in terms of knowing where to invest their human capital and their resources to improve their safety within their business. And when I think of predictive analytics, I think of it in two ways. The first way is just how are you actually doing? I think there's a giant question that goes on within health and safety managers and and professionals uh, around the world with, I think we're safe but I don't actually know how I am against my organization because not a lot of people have a central repository to to benchmark, right? Like I'm in SaaS, I can pull up 30 different reports to tell me what the SaaS benchmark is for fill in the blank measure that I should care about. In health and safety, getting that benchmark in your industry is very hard and then very hard against different functions, right? So people that are coming on site, digging trenches, working with wires, uh, doing stuff inside, replacing windows, whatever it may be that you're actually managing, you know, inspecting fire extinguishers, whatever that may be. Getting that benchmark against your industry, super important, right? And that will help you prioritize your resources on what you need to fix. The second level of it, where we start to get into the true predictive, once you know what your safety score is there, you can get into true predictive where you can start to overlay third-party data sources. So weather patterns, traffic patterns, work patterns, things like that, that then can combine your safety score with what is going on around the workers. And that will create a predictive model that will allow an organization to go, right, tomorrow we're going to have a problem. We need all hands on board. And when we can get into that type of an environment, I think we get into an amazing world where safety starts to really, really increase across every organization. And it'll all be about how we pull all of that data together. Um, so I get really, really excited. I could talk about this topic for an hour with almost no break. So don't get me too started on it. Kind of staying on that subject in a way, kind of looking back and looking forward, what are your key takeaways from the past year that you hope, you know, both safety leaders and business leaders can learn from and apply, you know, in 2023 and into the future? You know, when I look at kind of, you know, the past and, and looking forward, um, I think that the big thing for safety leaders kind of going forward, you know, it, it's a big one with us. We get too hung up on um, uh, lagging indicators, um, and that tends to be where we tend to focus on quite a lot. I think going back towards leading indicators tends to be a big one. Um, and I think, you know, as safety leaders continue to focus more and more on what is front and center and, and into towards the future, where the leading indicators are, are guiding you towards, that will help them make better informed decisions. I think uh, don't underestimate the complexity, especially for our larger uh, organizations out there. So, you know, your mid-market to, you know, 500 person, 600 person organizations and above. Um, the time it takes to drive adoption, I think tends to get underestimated by most organizations. So it's easy to deploy the software. I mean, we can get, you know, most organizations can get health and safety professionals up and running in 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, you know, that's what where everyone should be focused on. But then driving the actual adoption I think that's a big lesson for everyone from the past. It, it's, you know, you don't just give it to your frontline worker and say, good luck. You need training, train the trainers, get people adopting it, measure the usage, go site by site to see how many forms they're submitting. Are they using the reports? What have you? And 
don't try and do it all in one shot, especially for our really large organizations, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 person companies. Trying to get it all done in one fell swoop, it's ripe for failure. You want to really steamroll that across multiple months and and just train site by site by site. So I think those are probably two big takeaways, I think, with, with uh, folks in terms of, you know, helping to drive forward into, into the future. And then, you know, you said it earlier, staying resilient would probably be the, the third one. I think, you know, 2022 was challenging, 2023 will have its own challenges. Um, hopefully they're, they're a little bit easier than what people are maybe forecasting right now. You know, stay, stay resilient in the eyes of everything that's going on. Okay, the, the big, big question, kind of uh, leapfrogging off the the previous one. If you had, as we as we as we wrap up here, what's the one piece of advice you know you would offer you know any leader listening to this podcast right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I mean, the number one piece of advice that that I give out right now, very regularly, um, it's really you know two words: don't flinch. I think, you know, when you're, when you're kind of in the eye of a storm, and I think the last three years we've been in the eye of a storm. And so it's been hard for a lot of folks. And I think everyone has to recognize that level of difficulty that both managers, workers, you know, executives have been facing trying to, to move their way through it. I think it's really easy to flinch into blink uh, and to go, oof, this is, this is, this is too hard. This is not right. I don't know what to do. You know, things like that. You got to where you were because of how great you were. Right. And so don't lose sight of the fact that you're still great at what you do. Don't flinch. Keep moving forward. Trust that the work, great work you were doing before, if you continue down that path, will continue to pay dividends forward, both in, in terms of safety and in terms of your own personal circumstances. Uh, so I cannot, cannot stress enough. Don't flinch. Keep moving forward. Keep executing well. Focus on safety and focus on getting your workers home. That's that's uh, that's a great note to end on. Well, uh, thank you so much again uh, for coming on, Tyler. Uh, it's uh, a big issue uh, for yes, uh, safety leaders and business leaders uh, in now and will continue to be in the future. So I really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your perspective. Awesome. Thanks so much, Scott. Really, really had a great time here. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.